Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome back. I'm Carl Mack and this is Combat Chronicles. Plenty to talk about today. Um, if the sound sounds a little bit off, um, everyone's away. So I have a large room all to myself. Hope the echo isn't too uh, sort of distracting. Usually I record in my ad hoc um, recording corner um, as I await uh, passage into a home of my own, uh, which, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, if you've heard any of the news in the UK at the moment, is a complete fucking nightmare. Um, what has not been a nightmare has been the amount of great fights we've had in the past week, or certainly interesting fights worth talking about, um, and actually a really major fight that really was not worth talking about, um, but more on that a little bit later. So, a bit of boxing first, then a bit of MMA. And as I wanted to do uh, a couple of episodes back, um, I want to focus first on the fallout unification between uh, Clarissa Shields of America and Savannah Marshall of the United Kingdom. Now, this bout was uh, originally uh, set for last month uh, and was put back uh, due to the, I was about to say, untimely demise of the Queen, but she's about 150, so um, the death of the Queen. Um, I think she would have loved a bit of all, all women uh, dust up, to be honest with you, and they should have let her carry on. But I imagine the issue was with infrastructure, with you know, you know uh, buses and trains and coaches and all that sort of shit, and hotels being closed or, or having uh, less resource. So it got put back to this weekend. Happy to say that the reception for it was still great. Uh, Clarissa Shields easily winning the belt, in my opinion. A um, little bit of a talk about the fight itself, which was somewhat interesting, um, both watching it live and in retrospect um, on second viewing, and also in terms of what it means, because there's a lot of talk right now about Cressa Shields' legacy, etc., and that'd be quite interesting to talk about. Um, the bout itself um, was highly anticipated, especially by myself. Um, for those that are unaware, Savannah Marshall is a big, heavy banger, um, especially for women's boxing. Clarissa Shields, decorated amateur. Um, Marshall was as well, but nowhere near as decorated as Shields. Um, and uh, Shields is, in my opinion, and I'll talk a bit more about it as the fight goes on, but never been massively high, enough, to be honest with you. Um, I sort of described her before as like an athletic slugger. I think people see her as a pure boxer, but she's at her best. Uh, when she really lets rip and let her hand and lets her hands go. Um, speaking about amateur pedigrees, uh, Savannah Marshall previously beat Shields in the amateurs. As far as I know, they, they keep touting it as the only loss of uh, Shields' career, and I, I think that might actually be the case. But um, that did not happen here. Um, 
Shields took the initiative early, uh, able to let her hands go, catch Marshall coming in. Um, the thing with Marshall is she's a very awkward banger, and I love awkward bangers, I really do. Um, I love it when they make that awkwardness work for themselves, um, fighting sort of off rhythm, uh, changing the tempo of the shot. Um, you know, you know, you throw a slow one two, you throw a slow one two, and then the third one, the one comes out slow, but the two comes out faster. Uh, it's the kind of thing that uh, Carlos Monzon used to do um, for one easy example that changing the tempo on shot um, Marshall does it but basically she was constantly sort of shuffling into range um, and getting beat to the punch and actually Shields was getting under her shots um, Marshall was changing up she's doing a few different things in order to try and negate uh, Shields superior speed and timing um, she would shift into southpaw she's constantly trying to uh, sort of measure the distance with the jab feints throwaways um, lots of upper body feints and movement all good things um, but unfortunately she was getting timed uh, too regularly and at sort of her best range coming inside um Shields was still able to get the better of her. Um, too porous defensively, unable to really herd Shields into shots consistently enough to um, get off her biggest blows. Um, a couple of times she did. Uh, second round, she landed a really nice right hand. And as Shields slowed a little bit as the fight went on, she uh, nicked a couple of rounds sort of in the back half of the fight. But generally, Shields able to get shots off quicker. Um, again, able to get Marshall to follow her enough. Um, that you know she was able to do some pretty good defensive work on the ropes and, and leave sort of Marshall all at sea. Um, in the early going, I tweeted that Marshall looked like a lummox. Um, I really wanted Marshall to win, but the fact of the matter is she looked uncoordinated, she looked sloppy. As I say, love awkward fighters, but it wasn't just a case of awkwardness. She looked a bit all at sea, um, and Shields was very much leading the dance. Um, as the fight went on, as I say, Shields did come back into it right in the last round, um, and she was in all those rounds, even the ones that I thought she lost. Probably, probably a seven-three, eight-two type of decision. Six-four, if you're being really um, generous, but uh, Shields got much the better of it. Um, Really fun fight. Um, good to see. Uh, Ten two-minute rounds for women's title bouts. Um, so Shields is now uh, thirteen and zero, um, and Marshall's now twelve and zero. Shields can't punch for shit. Couldn't knock the skin off a rice pudding. Uh, Marshall a banger, as I say. Um, you know, ten KOs for in twelve in twelve wins is is really impressive. Um, but yeah, Shields not really much of a puncher. Somewhat fun to watch. Um, negated by the fact that she's one of the most easily unlikable boxers I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, not just brash and, you know, personality. I don't really care about that stuff. I love all that stuff. But just a immensely sort of ignorant, um, rude, hypocritical, and uh, just just an awful talker. Just surrounds herself with bad people and, and, and defends them to the, to the death. So really easily, uh, really easy to, to dislike but in terms of her qualities as a fighter, in terms of her legacy as a fighter, there's a lot of talk about is she the female goat? Um, and what does that mean? I mean, it, very easily, you know, I'm not a massive fan of women's boxing. I know the notable uh, fighters, um, you know, given her achievements now, you could easily say that she's you know, the greatest uh, female fighter of all time. As I'm sure you can imagine, if you're an MMA fan and you listen to this podcast, I'm sure you could imagine the further you go up in weight, the less talent there is. Um, so, you know, take that as you will in terms of the the, the weak uh, talent pool. Um, 
and as I say, like you know, there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that Savannah Marshall was a really formidable opponent. I did not favour her to win going this fight, but I thought she was going to give uh, a much better account of herself. Um, you know, Shields now has won titles in in a couple of weight classes. Um, as I say, they are weak in terms of the talent there, in my opinion. Um, you can say what you want in terms of lots of you know, you you got Savannah Marsh, you got Christina Hammer prior to this, um, which is which was a big one. Um, you know, she has got, you know, is she unified in two weight classes? I think she might have actually unified in two weight classes, a middle and super middle. Well, that's the equivalent in terms of weight of like. Uh, let me think of it. What's the best way of putting it in terms of... She didn't actually unify Super Middle. I've just checked. Um, I'm back, by the way. Um, the best way of putting it is it's kind of the equivalent of women's MMA at, like, above 155. So if we if we call out Kayla Harrison for having weak opposition at 155, talking about titles above that, sort of 160 and 168, I think women's Super Middleweight is still 168. Uh, I may be wrong. Um, just looked into it as well. Uh, looks like some of these titles were inaugural titles, so it might not. I think maybe um, some of these might not have even been uh, titles until recently. So it's almost like again, like they, these divisions were previously thin, and now I think IBF it looked like it was an inaugural title, so they might not have even licensed fights before Shields. Kind of like a title just made. Uh, for her. Um, might be wrong on that. Um, certain female boxing historians, sorry, boxing historians for female boxing might be able to put me right, but that's what it looks like to me. Obviously, I've followed Shields' uh, ta- uh, career since she was a amateur. Bit of a time for MMA as well, because she has fought in the PFL and has trained in MMA for a while now. Um, didn't go uh, brilliantly. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, can't, you, you know, what everyone says is you can only beat who's in front of you, and there's a couple of decent fighters in there. Um, there's not much depth and uh, you might say that she is the female greatest full time that might well be true I wouldn't argue with her given her achievement and the fact she has a couple of quality wins on there there's a lot that could be said for a lot of women's boxers that I know of um, what does that actually mean um, it's a great achievement for her sport um, but you're always going to compare female boxing to, to, to boxing essentially much as we do with WMMA and MMA that's somewhat unfair but the sport really is still growing um, and has seen a lot of rapid growth certainly as, as far as I'm concerned in, in the 90s when I first got into boxing it was somewhat of a freak show sport women's boxing, it really was, that's how it was seen at the time even with a couple of uh, quality pioneers uh, favourite of which is Anne Wolfe who uh, could bang out probably about 75% of men I imagine um, and has trained men uh, and, it, and is, you know has been notable in her field for years, obviously going to 2000 you have lots of Holly Holm um, but yeah it's you know for me, still a growing sport, but seen a lot of growth. This is a big event. People are bought into it. And uh, yeah, apparently done really good viewing figures on Sky. It was a free event, not a pay-per-view. But good to see people interested. Fun fight, one I was really looking forward to. Uh, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? We shouldn't compare it to male boxing. In terms of the quality, it's not there. In terms of the depth, it's not there. But fair fucks to Carissa Shields. The achievement is very much real for her own sport. And if you want to know about the other uh, four-bell American champion that fought this weekend, Devin Haney uh, rematching George Cambosos over in Australia, uh, just go and check out episode 16 of this podcast where I talk about their first fight. Not much different here. Uh, Haney appears tight at the weight. That was the only thing that would have made it interesting about itself. Another stinker, not very competitive. Haney 
Um, it's a fight. Oh, I think I said on that podcast basically the the least interesting four belt champion I've ever seen um, remains so. Yet yeah, you might well be efficient, mate, but against better fighters you're going to need more than that, uh, and you should be able to do more against fighters who don't challenge you that much. Um, as for George Cambosos, um, he must have captured lightning in a bottle against Teofimo Lopez. Still an amazing performance and one of the best of this decade. Um, but uh, one performance, not a great career make. He never really impressed me before that. He certainly hasn't impressed me since. As for Haney, as I say, tight at weight, might well be moving up. You know, not sure what uh, relationships are like between Haney and Shackle Stevenson and Javante Davis, but fights that would have loved to see. Uh, Davis touted to fight Ryan Garcia, uh, Shakur Stevenson moving up the lightweight. Um, Vasily Lomachenko still there. Still a pretty decent division and lots that could potentially happen. Haney looks like he's going to leave um, the division with a load of underwhelming performances against has-beens, never was, and two very underwhelming, uh, if not clinical performances against a fighter who, um, you know, again, might be one of the uh, worst unified champions in, in the history of the division, which, you know, that's not a knock on these guys because the division has a very rich history. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a shame, uh, really, that Tiafima Lopez, A, shit the bed against Cambosos, couldn't make the weight himself. Uh, now let's like Haney's um, and, and, and look, as I said, Cambo, amazing performance in that first fight. Nothing to take away from him. Uh, you know, amazing performance, as I said earlier, before anyone jumps on my back. If I do have any uh, listeners down under, really rate that performance. Fantastic. Uh, given against who it was against and uh, sort of how we uh, completely exceeded most people's expectations of him. But um, yeah, Haney, uh, going to leave four bouts up for grabs, I suppose. Might make for some interesting fights. Hopefully we get more unifications again. And uh, yeah, hopefully see some some interesting ones. And on to the fighter who is the uh, sort of headliner of this episode. Um, a, because it's sort of clickbaity, but B, because it's a sort of fun discussion to have. The fight itself, not much to talk about. Deontay Wilder knocks out uh, Robert Hellenius right at the end of the first round. Um, yeah, so not much to talk about. Wilder, I've spoken about before, is a kind of fighter who it doesn't... He's this really bizarre fighter. A really awkward fighter in terms of how he fights. Um, really awkward fighter in terms of how he leverages his gifts. Uh, really awkward in terms of just the way he operates and how his punch trajectories, his uh, counter-punching, uh, just everything he does is weird. Okay, He's a weird fighter, gangly, uh, fast, explosive, sloppy, um, rigid... Um, just a really odd operator. I said earlier, love awkward bangers. Might one of the awkwardest bangers ever. Um, but he's also really awkward in terms of how he fights. I think I've said this before. Rounds are not an issue to Deontay Wilder. He's one of the few fighters in history who really don't have to worry about rounds. He could lose 12 rounds in a row because at 2 minutes 59, around 12, he could polax you and send you to the hospital. And he's one of the few fighters who can get away with that because he is one of the scariest bangers I've ever seen in the history of boxing. That is a fact. Uh, Alanius is... I picked uh, Rob Tebbett, who I'm uh, open to have on this podcast, funnily enough. Um, asked the other day, what, what do you think is going to happen? And I said, Wilder KO1. And he said, well, you know, it might go a bit better than that. It might be a bit better. I think Alanius would be quite tricky. I agree, um, but for me, it was always going to be the speed. I said, you know, the speed differential will be too much. Alanius a big old lump, but you know, he's um, and he's a good fighter. 
Um, definitely had his you know his time in the sun, but he's a decent enough fighter. Um, but the speed difference would be too much for me. I thought that Wilder was going to bop him, and that's exactly what happened. And what we saw was an obvious contender for knockout of the year. Um, Wilder known for sort of throwing from his ankles, um, but in this he, he sort of hit Alanius halfway through the punch and still completely poleaxed him. Um, not that Alanius is impossible to hurt uh, or impossible to hit, but still really impressive uh, given the aesthetics of the knockout, the sound, the fact that it took me a couple of goes of watching the replays and a couple of different angles to really figure out what had happened. That's how fast Deontay Wilder is. He really is ridiculously explosive. Um, the fact that Wilder really is naturally about 215, 210, uh, even though he put on weight for uh, for one of the Fury fights in an attempt to sort of combat his bulk, um, he really is like a 210, 215 pounder, uh, probably could cut to cruiserweight and be this sort of bizarre 6 foot 6, 6 foot 7, whatever he is, cruiserweight. Um, also sort of bolsters the thing I've said before about the likes of uh, Kudryashov, Gisayev and uh, and uh, Bradis probably hitting hard enough to knock out heavyweights, what Bradis actually did, and I guess he has, has fought there, uh, Kudryashov, a, a glass cannon of course, but could certainly bang enough to knock out some serious uh, lumps himself. Um, I really do think that Wilder is a guy who could cut to cruiserweight. Uh, it shows me, I've always said, basically, Anyone over two hundred pounds could knock out anyone. Um, I, I believe that. I really do believe that's true. You're not going to tell me just because George Foreman was two twenty in his prime that he wouldn't be able to knock down Tyson Fury. Uh, you know, I'm not saying he beat him. Totally different discussion. Going off on a tangent. I'm just trying to get you to understand what I'm talking about in terms of guys of a certain size, of which Wilder is one of them. And Wilder is a freak. Um, he is an absolute monster. Um, he's a really quality counterpuncher. Just seems reactionary. Um, he just um, he's able to find shots um, on the back foot. Um, we have this one. We have I think the first knockdown against Fury. He was being pushed. Um, he was being pushed back. Um, I'd have to sort of rewatch it. But I'm pretty sure he was, if not on the back foot, um, because obviously I always say as well. Back foot knockouts, they're rarely going backwards. The famous one is uh, Sugar Ray Robinson versus Gene Former. He's moving backwards, sets his feet, bang. Watch it. The the It's a misnomer, and always has been, that it's a going backwards knockout. Um, it's rare that actually happens. He's moving backwards, he sets his feet, bang. Catches Former coming in. In this one, he still propels himself forward, Wilder, and catches Robert Alanius... Um, coming in but um, he's always been good at doing his art of spilker as well was pushing Wilder back caught him with that uh, counter uppercut I think it was um, he's just he's good at doing that Wilder he's good at being because he's so explosive and has such awkward um, style and such good timing he's able to catch guys at that tiny tiny opportunity that most people can't land on most people can't see most people can't get their shots off He's got immense physical gifts in terms of those long levers and his hand speed and his ability to see those opportunities. That's why Wilder's always been slagged off as he's awful. Guy can't box. Um, and then there was a little time after he outboxed the always plodding Bermain Stiverne in their uh, first fight. Oh, wow, Wilder has got more skill. And he did, you know, pretty janky, nice jab, that sort of stuff. But, you know, that wouldn't work against the majority of fighters. But for anyone to say that Wilder you know, can't box, they're completely missing the point. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to win rounds. Doesn't matter. 
He has a rare and innate ability to fucking separate people from their consciousness. Um, and does it in real frightening fashion. Um, I mean, Tyson Fury, you've seen how durable the fella is. Why would have fucking sparked him out, man, in that first fight? He was gone. Um, that really is sort of Shavers Holmes 2-esque in terms of Fury's ability to recover. But we know how good Tyson Fury is. He's the best heavyweight in the world. Probably a couple fights off being one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, and certainly in the conversation for top 10. In terms of his physical gifts, his his attributes, his style, his, his versatility, uh, his durability, powers of recovery, etc. He's an absolute giant of a man and a giant of a boxer. And Wilder, after a really hard fight, both times he clipped him, I think it was the ninth round, wasn't it, in the, in the last round, he had him all at sea. I keep saying all at sea, that he didn't have him all at sea. He had him fucking wiped out on that set, on that uh, last round. He was gone, Fury. Um, so the fact is, Wilder, it's hard enough to knock out the best ever in the world. He did knock him out. He was out. Um, you know, it's, we remember, I think, it's, I think it's actually a classic, actually, I think. If you look back, third fight, I think, was the best one, but... The first fight was good. Had enough good moments in it. Um, second one was an all-time great performance. I think, you know, 20 years' time, people will still be talking about these Wilder Fury fights. Um, you know, people still talk about Ali Shavers. People still talk about Ali Norton. People still talk about, I say, Home Shavers. Um, Vitaly Klitschko versus Lennox Lewis. You don't need to be an all-time great in the heavyweight for people to still talk about your fights. You still get a certain contingent of fans that very fondly remember Burt Cooper versus Evander Holyfield. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that in 20 years' time, people will still talk about... In 30 years' time, people will still fondly remember uh, Fury versus Wilder, all three fights. But that knockdown in the first fight, I think that's going in the pantheon. I think it pretty much did... The moment it happened. It's one of the all-time great iconic boxing moments. And uh, you know, Wilder punched himself into the Pantheon with those heavy hands. And he is in the Pantheon of great punches. People often think, oh, you can't really include heavyweights. No, it's one of the few things you can really fucking include heavyweights in. Especially guys that are knocking out fellas 20, 30 pounds heavy in them on a regular basis, which Wilder's doing. Um, Shavers is often held up as one of the hardest punches of all time um, didn't really knock out that many notable people um, certainly had a couple um, certainly hurt some really notable fighters um, but his thing is more on first hand accounts people you know that say that Ali for example he fought you know Foreman and so many big punches Frazier and Sonny Liston Ron Lyle we could just go on all day and you know says Shavers at Miniardis. It's little first down accounts like that that really matter in terms of Shavers. Not just who he knocked out and who he hit. It's, it's what people say about him. There's other fighters that no, said how notable his power was. Um, you know, Wilder, he doesn't need to knock out legitimately great fighters. He's knocked out a couple of decent ones. Luis Ortiz, most notably. Especially, you know, and coming back, again, showing it doesn't matter how much of a pace on this fella's taken. He can bang you out. Um, the fact is, he dropped Fury multiple times across three fights um, and will be remembered for doing so will be always remembered as one of the hardest punches of all time is he actually the hardest puncher of all time he's got to be up there in the heavyweights so he's got to be up there in terms of all time, all round fighters pound for pound totally another issue um, look you know you can go through the hardest pound for pound punches Ruben Olivares Alexis Arguello, uh 
um, Thomas Hearns, you know, Ike Williams, whoever, Terry McGovern, whoever you want to pull up. Find me footage of them sparking people as effortlessly as Deontay Wilder does. Um, there'll be some, absolutely. I'm well aware of all those guys. We could talk about them all day. Bob Foster as well. You know, there's some un- incredible knockouts aesthetically from these guys against some quality fighters. Against fighters of a higher quality than Wilder uh, is knocking out. But I absolutely believe that it's not uncommon for people his weight to be able to knock people out. As I said earlier, I think uh, Murat Gasayev would definitely be able to knock out some quality fighters if he was actually fighting them. Maris Bradis knocked out uh, Mahmoud Char, who's awful, but you know he's a notable heavyweight all the same. It's not normal for people to be deading people as regularly as Wilder is, as effortlessly as he is. As I say, Hellenius, not, uh, not impossible to knock out or hurt by any means, but to hit him as he did, so fast that I didn't see it, and also just sort of, just a half punch is sort of, fucking, as he's walking in, cracking one, didn't even get full extension and just flatten the bloke for minutes. Unbelievable. Um, so yeah, somewhat clickbaity title, but definitely a discussion worth having. Deontay Wilder remains one of the most fun and compelling fighters in all of boxing. Take the pound for pound and shove it up your ass. Um, heavyweights are fun, again, and for years they were. Um, I think people, especially in little MMA boxing, sort of say... Oh, heavyweights, you know, compared to smaller fighters, they're shit. Yeah, but it's there's something special about watching the biggest hosses around going at it. And uh, Deontay Wilder is fucking special. Uh, elsewhere, um, Caleb Plant scored a really nice uh, knockout over Anthony Durrell. Never really rated Durrell, especially not Anthony. Um, what was nice about it was the hesitation, the sort of stutter between uh, left up body head, which is really nice. So you'd go sort of left but uh, level change, Left hook to the body, left hook upstairs. He hit the left hook to the body, allowed Doral to try and come back and left hook with the left hooker. Stuttered, bang, hit him as he was throwing. Walked him straight into it, really nice shot. Um, I still rate Plant, still think he's really good, uh, even though he lost to Canelo. I think he's a quality fighter. Um, Super middleweight, not the deepest division, uh, but there's some quality fighters there, and I'm sure there'll be some decent fights for Plant uh, still. So I like that. Uh, I'm going to break for ads as my podcast provider keeps telling me to do so. But just before I do that, uh, a little plug for myself. Uh, if you like uh, more long-form content and more interesting stuff, and uh, not more interesting stuff, but some stuff that I think you might find interesting, if you like this podcast, be sure to check me out over on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. This month's big one was an audio documentary about Miguel Torres, new series called Combat Chronicled. This episode was called The First Great Bantamweight got pretty good reviews i'm happy to say people are enjoying it people are digging it including the main man himself miguel torres so if you want an in-depth uh, exploration of a fighter that you might already know or a fighter that you might not have heard of uh, because of course i am a tastemaker uh that's a joke for those that think i'm an arrogant bastard come on now it's a joke um check it out and hopefully you'll enjoy it more long form stuff coming uh, if you're listening to the boxing part that's going to be in december if you like the MMA part, um, the Guide to Pride 1 still in production. Probably not going to come out to November now, but there's still some exclusive Pride content over there um, with some scans of some rare and uh, old uh, stuff from the archives. Uh, some footage coming up too, coming up soon. And uh, yeah, I'm going to hopefully get another Patreon podcast out at the end of the month. Won't be Guide to Pride 1, um, but that's coming soon as well. So lots of long-form stuff. Um, 
stuff you can't get anywhere else. And just sometimes when I'm when I'm on a uh, just sort of just on a whim, I might just post something for you guys. Uh, basically, ask my patrons, see what they what they say. I'm sure they'll tell you they're getting their money's worth. It's uh, you know I know times are tough, but a couple of bucks a month and uh, yeah, you're good to go. So www.patreon.com/combatchronicles. And in my desperate attempt to uh, make more money, I'm going to stop now for an ad read. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. So now we're on to MMA uh, and sort of wide world of combat sports. Um, first, the news that boat uh, Thai Muay Thai promoter is going to pull Petian D fighters out of uh, one championship, which is. Big news because there's some really notable fighters, including the recently uh, disposed champion Petch Morricot, uh, previous champion uh, Capitan, uh, that are getting pulled out essentially, and that will be a, a major blow to the ranks of the uh, Muay Thai roster in in one championship, and and guys that could fight in either discipline and kickboxing or Muay Thai. Um, you know, one that's one of the big things they've got the diversity of their cast um, and the uh, cast. Why does suddenly go posh? Their cast. Um, yeah, that's one of the things they got going for them. One of the things that makes them uh, really interesting and intriguing. And um, my assume is it's a reaction to uh, to Chatry, uh, one head honcho, getting the the license to promote in, in Rajadam Nern. Um, I think that's probably what it is. It's a case of look, if you're going to be promoting Muay Thai in the stadiums, you got Singapore, mate. We let you have our fighters in Singapore. If you're going to be promoting over here, you can get fucked. And I don't blame them. Um, 
Boat, who I've described as the Eddie Hearn of uh, Muay Thai due to his sort of young, youthful exuberant promoting and the fact his old man, much like Barry Hearn for Eddie, uh, was a famous promoter back in the day. Um, you know, I think he's well within his rights to do so. Uh, Chattery, to his credit, sort of stood down and said, you know, if that's what he wants, that's what he wants. I don't think he wants to fuck around in Thailand. Um, so, yeah, um, that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. And uh, I think it's a really notable piece of news. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, another bit of news before we get on to this, week, uh, this past weekend's UFC card, of which I'm only going to look at a couple of fights. Um, Alexander Volkanovsky, the far and away best pound-for-pound fighter in all of mixed martial arts, in my opinion, and in anyone, anyone who's sensible's opinion, uh, in my opinion. How many opinions am I going to fit into that? So I'm not even going to edit it out. Absolutely awfully constructed sentence um, and I'm not going to change it because I'm not going to edit around me being a fucking idiot um, but yeah in my opinion Volkanovski's the best and in Dana White's opinion uh, it must well be the same because he's going to give the pound for pound king a chance to add to his pound for pound credentials um, I think Volk's in uh, the Middle East this week um, as a potential late replacement for either Islam Makachev or Charles Oliveira, which is tantalising, and it seems that he's going to be rewarded for that and his lofty status as a pound-for-pounder by getting the next title shot, whoever that may be against. Um, I'll just say it now. If Volkanovski can beat the winner of Makachev and Oliveira, he is the greatest fighter in the history of mixed martial arts. He would be the best ever two-weight champion, the most meaningful two-weight champion. Um, he would have a absolutely stacked resume of quality fighters um, and with his three fights over Holloway, just an incredible uh, sort of uh, bevy of wins. Um, past prime, Aldo, Ortega and the winner of um, a huge, huge fight um, this coming weekend. Because um, the winner of this fight this coming weekend, uh, Oliveira versus Makachev, is going to be probably one of the top... Well, if it's Oliveira, definitely probably the second or third best pound-for-pound fighter. Makachev will probably jump straight up there as well, just on the basis of beating Oliveira, even though he doesn't have as uh, strong uh, uh, resume. But if he wins, Makachev, he will look, regardless of resume, as a super formidable and terrifying fighter who Volkanovski would get massive credit for beating. Um, so, yeah, for me, you know, Volk would have, you know, some past prime fighters like Aldo and Mendes, but quality fighters all the same. Um, you know, three, three wins over Holloway, Ortega, Korean Zombie. For me, past prime Korean Zombie, that means way less than Jose Aldo or Chad Mendes, especially given how Mendes fought in that uh, that Volkanovski fight. He clearly still had a lot of his athletic gifts left. So, um an impressive win and Volk is just an incredible tactician incredible fighter striker uh, anti-pressure fighter uh, and a fighter who can as I've said before um, sort of wade into the uh, fiery depths and and come out uh, with barely any ash on him the guy is just an absolute beast and uh, yeah he has the bollocks to fight the winner I have no doubt you may be wondering why I'm not covering the uh, upcoming UFC 280 um I think it's a phenomenal card. I really do. Let's touch on it quickly before we get to this past weekend's past. I did it again. I don't know why I'm all posh today, boys. Um, maybe, you know. I had a bad week. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, I had a really close friend and a great mate 
pass away last week unexpectedly. Um, and I think maybe it softened me a little bit. Maybe it softened me a little bit. Um, anyone, anyway, anyone wants to know why I'm not covering 280, you know, Piotr Yan versus Sean O'Malley's a wash. Gamrock versus Darius, super intriguing. Sterling versus Dillashaw, super intriguing because you just don't know where TJ's at at his age after the injury. Um, you know, super interesting. But the main fight is obviously Charles Oliveira versus Islam Makachev. And it's so intriguing. If you want to know why I think it's so intriguing, I don't have a fucking read on the fight. So how can I do a preview for it? I don't have any idea how it's going to go. Um... Oliveira, yeah, sure, he can press a ma- pressure Makachev, but can he defend the takedown? What happens with, when Makachev's on top? I've, I don't really have a read. Can Makachev deal with Oliveira's real crafty ground game? I don't really have a read. Is he going to do what Fowler done and just sort of power through it and, and wear him down? I don't really have a read, probably. But it doesn't matter because Oliveira's a different beast now in terms of his stand-up skills. I, I don't have a solid read. I'm willing to admit that, guys. Not going to be after timer. Haven't got a fucking clue how it's going to go. I just can't wait to see it. So don't get bogged down in the previews, all that sort of shit. We'll talk about it as it goes. I'm I'm sort of weighing up whether I'm going to do a bit of a unique podcast on Saturday. Not sure. Not going to tell you what my ideas are because I don't know if I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'll be able to, but got an idea. Either way, going to get the podcast out straight away, hopefully as soon as the card's finished. But um, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to go, yeah, I'll just uh, try and figure it out watched everything on these guys and I just have no idea how it's going to go it's a great fight it really is a tremendous fight so they both make weight let's hope it all plays out with no controversy and uh, the winner whoever that may be has got a date with the pound for pound kingpin so this past uh, weekend's uh, fight night card from the Apex not going to talk about a lot of it not going to talk about the uh, sad sight of Cub Swanson training himself to ban and weight and getting pieced up by Jonathan Martinez. Not going to talk about the women's flyweight uh, main event. I mean, I barely care about the champion of women's flyweight. Um, sorry, guys. Um, did I not give enough precedence for a women's fight in this podcast? Uh, any uh, accusations of misogyny could be sent to my lawyer. Um, we're going to talk about two fights. Talk about a uh, still interesting uh, tiny guy. And we talk about a guy, a tiny guy who's still got some life in him, and is one of the most interesting all-time uh, tiny guys. So we're going to start off with the uh, young and interesting Tatsuro Taira, who beat CJ Vergara, um, who I've never actually watched before, um, but I spoke about Taira all the way back in February, episode five, um, about when he got signed by the UFC and how important it was and how exciting he was as a prospect. Um, I said then because. I'm not one of these people who just because the guy's young, cool, Japanese and undefeated is going to act like he's the fucking second coming of Christ. He's still got work to do. He is a prospect. A proper prospect. Fact. He is still a prospect. Striking is still in its nascent stages. Um, as I've said before, he does a couple of things uh, well. Really not chaining together um, the different phases of his game, although he's got a pretty decent uh, takedown game. You know, he's 12-0 and 0 now, uh, former Shuto champ. Um, and the fact of the matter is that we saw some pretty far-out... Uh, we definitely saw one far-out shot in this fight. Uh, we still see naked kicks. Um, you know, he was reversed a couple of times. Fair play to Figueroa. I'd watch him again because of uh, how he was able to sweep Tyra twice. Um, you know... He's still raw, this kid. He's still raw. 
and it's impressive. The finish was lovely. Uh, went from back triangle, fighting chokes, um, trying a different couple of different ways of trying to get the choke off, and then transition to the arm bar. Really sweet stuff. Um, There's not criticism. It's not a criticism to say slow down. Um, I really don't want him to become uh, like like so many of, of Demetrius Johnson's challenges because the division's fit on the ground in terms of interest in fighters for him to get thrown in uh, in a title fight way too early. Um, there's still enough fighters knocking about that you can give this guy time to develop. And he needs time to develop. But certainly interesting, uh, well worth a watch. As I say, spoken about his podcast a couple of times already, once when he signed and uh, after his debut, now uh, 2-0 and in the UFC. So... As flyweight prospects go, certainly an interesting one. And in terms of certainly an interesting one, uh, last fight we're going to talk about today between two super interesting fighters. Half the hour sun sale defeating Victor Henry by unanimous decision after three. Interesting fight. Um, I think probably people would think it's somewhat boring for me. It was really interesting. Um, first, talk about uh, Victor Henry. If you don't recall before, we spoke about him on this podcast. And I think I spoke about him on Heavy Hands with Conor Rebush as well. Um, Henry does so much and has uh, does so much in the cage and has so much technical depth. That's what makes this fight interesting in terms of what Hafi Sunsail did. Um, uh, Henry so good at sort of you know I think the basic read on it is you know a Sunsail forced him to lead and he's not as good at leading. Um, whilst I certainly agree that Henry is able to deploy his tools better at sort of mid range um, and sort of when uh, people come at him. Um, or want to engage him in that kind of range a sun sound took that away from him so the kind of things Henry does well using throwaways and feints to set up his offence uh, if you get inside his punching range as he comes in he will grab the single collar tie or the double collar tie uh, and either hit you with a punch an elbow a knee um, good at switching up his kicks um, just a really just in-depth um, quality technician uh, and what a sun sound did was make him wary uh, hand fight with him uh, catch shots as he was coming in, not allow him to build into that offense, which is what Henry does so well, building into his layered offensive game. A Sunsail constantly keeping him, not just uh, following him, but turning, um, able to catch those kicks, which is such a potent element of Henry's game. And just old manned him, you know, timed him with the jab, timed him with big, uh, loud sounding right hands and, and, and combos as the fight went on uh, that won him those exchanges and won him those rounds and then forced Henry to reset, follow him again. Bought time either with clinches or on the ground where he was far superior. Um, that really lovely sequence in the second round where he caught a kick, held him with one hand and just kept pounding him with right hands over and over again. Constantly giving Henry uh, things to think about, not allowing him to use his usual tricks um, you know, the switch hitting, uh, switching into shots, that sort of stuff. Uh, Henry was not able to get a consistent foothold in the fight, but it was still a really competitive fight and well worth checking out. As for a Sun Sour, it's not been a good couple of years for him. Hasn't won a fight uh, since uh, 2019 um, and has been banged out uh, in, in the last couple. Um, you know, if you are young and able to match him athletically, you've got a better chance of, of cracking him. But, you know, against fellow technicians, he's, he's still one to watch out. You know, this is a guy who's just beat Henry, who, as I say, in my opinion, in terms of technical skill, was one of the top 15 bantamweights in the world. And I've waxed lyrical many times about how deep that division is worldwide. So that says a lot about how quality uh, I think he was. And this is a guy who's beat, you know, fucking everyone from. Dillashaw, regardless of what you think of the first fight, he's been competitive twice. 
all the way back. Johnny Eduardo, he's fought fucking Faber, he beat Font, he beat Sterling, Marlon Moraes, you know, it's fucking, it's gold all day. Um, Jorge Masvidal, I mean, come on now. Still one of my most wanted bouts. Uh, Joe Lauzon as well. The guy's fought everyone, 18-year career, absolute quality, is in all-time great, not in my opinion, is in all-time great. Bantamweight, of course he is. Um, so, yeah, that's all we got for today. Uh, plenty coming up. Um, as I say, big podcast uh, this coming week for UFC 280. Then I'm on vacation, a real one, a real week off, and hopefully not be online. Uh, we'll prime a podcast to come out that week, as I say, hopefully for patrons. Hopefully my main man, Rob Tebber of ID Boxing. Won't tell you what fight we're going to be talking about yet. Let's hope it comes off. Uh, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I'll have something in the pipeline for you. Either way, you lovely patrons. And for those uh, on the regular feed, you'll be waiting a full week. Because as I say, I'm taking a full week off after this. So um, UFC uh, 280, that'll be this weekend's pod. Then you won't see me for a while because... Uh, I'm due some time off, some proper time off from work, and uh, my girlfriend's not going to be very happy if I take my laptop with me and start doing podcasting while I'm away now, is she? As I say, uh, the only thing I chip away at uh, on that week off is the Guide to Pride 1, which is the big one. So if you want to hear that, head on over to Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Combat Chronicles. Hit me up on Twitter, at CombatCR, if you've got any thoughts about the uh, fights I've discussed. Do you think Deontay Wilder is the hardest puncher of all time? Let me know. Uh, And until then, until the next show, peace out. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 